Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Scott's going to read our text for us and we'll get started here. This is Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Thanks, Scott. Good morning. All right. Over the last, uh, over the last couple months, you know we've been working our way through the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is this letter that is really more like a sermon uh, to this group of Hebrew Christians. And this group of people is a unique group of people with a unique history. They come from a long line of people committed to Jewish traditions and Jewish practices. And the author of Hebrews has good news for them. And we've seen it over the last several weeks, but it started all the way back in the first two verses of Hebrews when it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So right at the very beginning, right from the start, he draws this distinction from the way it used to be to the way it is now. He says, Long ago... God spoke to us, spoke to our fathers through the prophets. And that was good. But now he speaks to us through his son, and it's even better. Why is it better? Because Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. How does he change everything? Well, we've gone through it. Basically, the first 10 chapters of this book, the author is laying out how Jesus changes everything. We've learned Jesus is better than angels. He's better than Moses. He's a better rest for our souls. He's a better high priest. He's a better covenant. He's a better temple. And last week, he's a better sacrifice. And angels, Moses, high priests, Temple sacrifices, they were all good things, but now Jesus is here and he's way better. People who know Jesus don't need those things anymore. In chapter 7, in verse 18 of chapter 7, the author of Hebrews says the old ways have been set aside because now with Jesus, the old ways are weak and useless. There's a better way. What he calls in chapter 7 and verse 16, the power of an indestructible life. In Jesus, we have the power of an indestructible life. The old ways had limitations. With Jesus, there are no limitations. There is now unlimited access to our heavenly father 
forever. We can come to him anytime, anywhere. And as Brad would say, that's the best news you're ever going to hear in your life. It reminds me of really what we just sang about, this homecoming. It reminds me of, of the videos, I don't know if you've seen these, of, of like a military mom or dad who comes home and surprises their family. If, if you want to have like a really good, ugly cry, just Google military homecoming surprises. And just don't go anywhere anytime soon after that because it's going to be messy. Um, but we're going to watch one today, so get ready. Just prepare yourself because here it comes. Um, and I'll just set this up a little bit. Um, there's this boy, and he's at an assembly, and he doesn't know what's coming, but his dad is home. And so we're going to watch this together. It's awesome. I mean, you can't watch that and it not do something to you. So we're going to watch it again. <laughs> we're going to watch it one more time. And I just want you to see three things. There's kind of three moments that happen for this boy. And I'm just going to kind of take us through as we watch it. So he sees his dad. That's the first thing that happens. You see it in his eyes. That's the first thing. Second thing, he runs to his dad and the third thing, he hugs his dad, and he never wants to leave. He sees his dad. He runs to his dad. He hugs his dad. And why? Because he missed his dad. I imagine he, I mean, he knows his dad. He loves his dad. And his dad has been gone, and he's finally here. So all he wants to do is be swept up in his arms in this hug that he hopes just will last forever. And that's a picture of what's happening here in Hebrews. That's the point we're at in this letter. If we go to their town, they have always been distant from their heavenly father. There's always been this space. Their sin has always kept them from being close to their father. But even before Jesus, there was good news. There, there was a way. There was still this system where they could come to their father. There was a way to connect. It wasn't perfect but it worked. It's, it's kind of like FaceTime while your dad is at war. You know, it's, it's not great, but it's better than nothing. But now, the best news they're ever going to hear is that their dad is close. He's here. Their big brother has done away with that distance, and they can draw near to their dad. And it's awesome. It's, it's so good. We hear that, and we want to run. We want to run to our Heavenly Father. But what if we don't? What if that's true and we don't? What if it's a little harder than we think it should be? So let's go to their town. You know, why would they not run to their father? Why wouldn't they run? Well, we talked last week how this, is, this had been 1,500 years in the making. They had been offering sacrifices, they had had these practices, traditions going over 1,500 years. And it had probably become comfortable. And it, it was what they knew. And I wonder if, if that distance actually did feel a little bit more 
comfortable. I wonder if they were maybe nervous or scared to draw close to their father or even they don't even know how. They've done it one way for centuries and now it's like, no, you can actually come to him anytime, anywhere. And I think our town is not much different. I wonder if maybe we like a little distance. I wonder if maybe we're a little nervous or scared or maybe we don't even know how to come to our Father. It would be like, it would be like a kid who's, whose dad comes home from war and he doesn't know what to do. And he just stands there. And that would be heartbreaking. So let's say for us today, let's say we want to be that child that runs to his dad and gets swept up in his arms. But we can also admit that it can be hard sometimes. Maybe it's not as easy as we think it should be. Well, if that's true, we're not alone. And the author of Hebrews knows this about us and he wants to help us. And that's where we're going to pick up the sermon today in chapter 10 and verse 19. And what he does is he's basically going to summarize the last few chapters. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, he's saying this is where we are. This is the new reality. We can actually enter the holy places. We can spend time in the presence of God. We have access to our Father. We can spend time with him anytime, anywhere because of Jesus. Jesus has opened up this new and living way. So it's like, okay, yeah, let's do this. How do we do this? What do we do? What does this look like? And so the rest of this passage talks about how this works. The author is going to give us three keys to this new and living way through Jesus. Three things Jesus provides us to make our relationship with God work. And those three things are faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. So first, faith. In verse 22, it says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So that's one verse, but there's a lot going on there. So we're going to break that down just a piece at a time. So first it says, let us draw near with a true heart. So how do we draw near to God? Well, to draw near to anyone means that something is happening in our heart. We have to know someone. We have to love someone to want to draw near to them. Otherwise, we're not going to. It's just like the boy in the video. There's this moment where he sees his dad and something immediately clicks in his heart. He remembers what it's like to be with his dad. He imagines all the goodness, the warmth, the love of his father. And you, can, you could see it in his eyes as we watched the video. They just open up and it's like all of these feelings are just rushing through him. But the thing about this boy is his dad was right there in front of him. You know, he could actually see his dad with his own two eyes. And for us, it's harder 
because we can't see our Father in that way. For us to see our Father requires faith. So what is faith? Faith is seeing God with our heart. Seeing God with our heart. And even that is hard to wrap our mind around. Like, what does that even mean? I I think of it as like this holy imagination where in some mysterious way we are able to see God with our heart. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, this is what he prays. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What he's praying for them is that they would be able to see their father more clearly. Again, in a mysterious way that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit would work inside of them and open the eyes of their hearts. And as the Spirit works inside of us, as we start to see our father more clearly, we want to draw near to him. But this is hard. This is hard work because we have an enemy. While we want to see the truth, he is always whispering lies into our heart. He is the father of lies and he wants to blind us. He wants to blind our hearts from the truth of our father. He doesn't want us to see our father. He wants us to forget about our father. And if he can't get us to forget our father, he wants us to settle for less. He wants us to settle for a version of our Father that is less, less power, less glory, less goodness, less love, because he knows, our enemy knows that if we grasp the truth of who God is, all we will want to do is be with him. We will want to draw near to him. I love the, the way uh, Dane Ortland explains it. He says it like this. He says, the Christian life is the long journey of letting our natural assumptions about who God is fall away, being slowly replaced with God's own insistence of who he is. And he says, this is hard work. It's hard work, and we can't do this on our own. We have to press in. We have to spend time with our Father. We have to look for him in his word, and we have to look for him in prayer. We have to go to him in his word, and we have to go to him in prayer. So first, as we go to him in his word, we are confronted with the truth about God. God introduces himself. We get to see God introduce himself to Moses in Exodus 34. It says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. When God gets the opportunity to introduce himself, when he proclaims who he says he is, he says, I am gracious, I am merciful and gracious. And later, just as the Lord passed before Moses, Jesus passed through the heavens and became human to show us the heart of God. He came to speak deeply into our hearts that same message. He came to proclaim, I am merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. In Matthew 11, Jesus tells us, come to me. I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. 
So as we hear these words, as we read these words, something starts to happen in our hearts. It's like the cobwebs are being brushed away. It's like our vision is starting to become a little bit clearer. We're starting to see God for who he truly is. And so we can come to our Father in his word and we can come to him in prayer. Tim Keller says, prayer is the way truth is worked into your heart. This is where we talk to God. We wrestle with God. And as we wrestle with him, as we talk to him, all this truth that we know about God, we actually get to experience it. As we pray, as we spend time with him, we actually find him to be gentle and lowly. We actually start to find rest for our souls. And what happens is we draw close to him and we see him more clearly and then we want to draw closer and then we see him more clearly. And that's what happens as we start to build our faith. Through time in the word and time in prayer, the eyes of our hearts are enlightened and we start to have faith. We start to build faith. And then as we go through life, our faith is tested. As we face hard times, as we meet trials, our faith is put to the test. And this is actually a good thing. James, the brother of Jesus, writes, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. He says, count it all joy. Why? How could it be joy when I'm facing trials? Because anything that pushes us to pray, anything that pushes us to wrestle with our Father, draw close to our Father, is a win. Because we get to see him even more. We get to experience his power, his glory, his goodness, and his love. He becomes more real to us. So the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. It produces more faith. It builds our faith. It grows our faith because it puts our Father ever in front of us. So every time our faith is tested, it grows stronger. So I think of it, I think of it like this. I think our faith is like our bones. So in my line of work, I get to talk with a lot of older people that want to know how to have strong, healthy bones. So I get to sit down with them and I get to tell them that the most important thing they can do to have strong, healthy bones is regular weight-bearing exercise. So what do I mean by that? So I tell them, you know, if you wanna have strong bones, you have to use your bones. You have to walk, you gotta do squats, you gotta do lunges, you can't skip leg day, you've gotta go to leg day. If you want to have strong, healthy bones, you got to use your bones. The more we use our bones, the stronger they get. And the same is true for our faith. The more we use it, the stronger it gets. And so in a mysterious way, we actually do all of this through Jesus. Hebrews 12 tells us that he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's the one that builds our faith. And he's the one that grows our faith. And, and our text today says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience 
and our bodies washed with pure water. How does that happen? Jesus. Jesus has sprinkled our hearts clean, washed our hearts clean from the lies that cloud our vision of who he is. And he gives us the ability to see again. He gives us faith to see our Father with our heart. And that brings us to the second thing we need in order to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father, and that is hope. So if faith is seeing our Father, hope is running to our Father. In verse 23, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And as we read those words, these are words of desperation. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And again, I think about that boy. You know, first it clicked, he saw his father, and then he immediately decides there's nothing else, nothing he wants more than to be with his dad. He forgets about everyone else in the room, and he runs. And that is a beautiful picture of hope. So we talked earlier about how the enemy uses lies to keep us from faith. To keep us from hope, the enemy uses distractions. He will use anything and everything if he can get us to hold fast to something else. He will use anything and everything to keep us from holding fast to our Father. And if he can get us to hold on to something else, we suffer and he wins. Because here's what Satan knows. Here's what our enemy knows. He knows that God has put eternity into man's heart. He knows that we are made with longings that can't be fulfilled this side of heaven. Longings for love, security, meaning, identity. And the enemy wants to distract us. He wants us to look for those things here. He wants us to run to things here because he knows if he can get us to run to things here, then we're not running to our Father. But the mysterious genius secret of our Father is that we really do need him. Nothing else will satisfy. When we are disconnected, when we're distracted, our souls ache. And that ache points us back to him. I wonder if you have ever felt this. I wonder if you have ever felt that ache of the soul. The psalmists felt this ache and they, they wrote about it. In Psalm 42, it says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. In Psalm 63, it says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. They understand that nothing in this world can satisfy the ache inside my soul. And there's a modern day psalm, uh, a new song that came out this summer uh, by Need to Breathe that I think gets at this story of the ache of the soul. This song is called West Texas Wind. Um, and in this song, 
the, the one singing, he paints this picture of like the best day you can imagine. He says, it's dark and it's quiet in my house tonight. Babies are all gone to sleep. It's hard to imagine a better life than the one I get to lead. And if you have young kids at home, you know that this is true. When it's, when it's dark and it's quiet in your house, that is like a little taste of heaven. There is nothing better. But even then, even with the kids in bed and it's all quiet, even then there's this sting of eternity in his heart. And he continues, he sings, don't blink an eye. You're a young man now, but you won't always be. He realizes he can't put his hope in the things in this world because they don't last. And he processes this struggle a little bit in the chorus, how he wants to hang on to things in this world. He says, my blood and my bones, my heart and my hands, they try to hold all of this in. But I'm running to you like a West Texas wind singing, God, I need you. Oh, how I need you. God, I need you again. And finally, later in the song, it's like he finally gets it. And he says, I'm ready to let the world go. And that's the place we have to get to. Where we can say, I'm ready to let the world go. Ready to run to God saying, God, I need you. Oh, how I need you. God, I need you again. And I don't know for you, I don't know what's fighting for the attention of your soul today. Over the past few weeks for me, it's actually been several things that want to take my attention away from my father. For one, it's been respect from people at work. When I think they're not seeing all the things that I'm doing, they're not seeing how hard I'm working. It's been control of my schedule when our van has a dead battery and I have to take care of it so my day doesn't go the way that I thought it would go. But my father is teaching me to let it go. Let it all go. I don't need that stuff. I don't need that respect. I don't need that control. All I need is him. I can run to him and he will meet me. I can talk to him and he will listen. And when we look to Jesus, when we look to the life of Jesus, that's what he did. Hebrews 5, 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. And the word for reverence here is actually a little bit closer to desperation. He was heard because of this desperation in his heart, this holy desperation. Jesus was desperate for his father. That's why he offered up these prayers with loud cries and tears because he knew his father was his only hope. And he was heard because of his desperation. So Jesus was able to hold fast without wavering to this hope. And through him, through Jesus, we can do the same. And so now that brings us to the third thing. The third thing we need for a relationship with our Father, and that is love. 
So just, just to think back, we can think of faith as this imagination where we are able to see God with our heart. And we can think of hope as this desperation where we run to our Father. And then we think of love as this participation. We live life with our Father. So we go back to that boy and his dad. He gets to his dad. He's swept up in his arms. His dad holds him tight. I mean, this is a hug for the ages. This boy is not letting go of his dad anytime soon. He's like, this is it. I'm home. I'm not going anywhere. That's the way it is for us. We sing it. It's our homecoming. Jesus said in John 15, 9, he said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Make your home in me and my love. This new and living way through Jesus, it gives us access to the holy places. We talk about how we have access to the presence of God. We can spend time in the presence of God, but the presence of God is not a place we visit, stay a while, and leave. It's our home. That's our true home. We make our home in the presence of God. We make our home in his love. And then we go to the world and we bring his presence and his love with us. We are ambassadors of love. And we do this together. And that's what we see in the text. It says, let us, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is a life lived together. And we see it all through the passage. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider. And every time we read that word, us, I want you to think you, me, and Jesus. It's us, you, me, and Jesus draw near to the Father. You, me, and Jesus hold fast to the Father. You, me, and Jesus do the will of the Father. We do it together. We get to participate in the work of Jesus and the Father's work in this world. So what is the Father's work? What is the Father's work in this world? It is love. Jesus put it this way. He, he was talking to his disciples and he says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love. And there's lots of ways he could have ended that sentence. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have power, if you have influence, if you have good, strong arguments, but that is not how this goes. He says, if you have love. And this can be a challenge because once again, we have an enemy that's working against us who wants to divide us. We have an enemy that wants to pit us against each other. He wants us to see people as the problem and he's really subtle about it. And I felt this recently. So a few weeks ago, uh, a vaccine 
mandate went into effect at work. And you might even hear those two words and immediately emotions <laughs> come to mind. Because with this vaccine mandate, with many things COVID-related, it was met with a lot of controversy and a lot of emotions. And so there was a, a group of people on one side that would say, you know, is, is a mandate really the best idea? You know, shouldn't people be able to choose for themselves if they have a vaccine or not? And then there's people on this other side that would say, you know, well, this vaccine is really a good thing. And if this vaccine is really good, then we need to make sure everyone gets it. And so this mandate goes into place, and it's like these two sides start to form, and there's just this pull that you've got to pick a side. You've got to pick one side or the other, and you've got to jump in, and you've got to fight. And that was the temptation I felt. I'm just pulled in these two different ways, and I feel like I've got to pick a side and jump in. So I, I came home from work one day, and I was just frazzled by the whole thing. And, and I sat down, I talked to my wife about it. And I'm like, what do I do? What do I do about this? So she listened to me. And then she just looked at me and she's like, you've got to let it go. And she was right. I had to let it go. I had to learn a better way. There was this third way, this third option, this other way. And not, not retreat. I'm not saying that we have to disengage or, or, or retreat from, from things like this, but we just have to engage differently. Because our Father is not calling us to be right or to prove others wrong. He's calling us to love. So you might wonder, well, what, what, what does that look like? In a situation like that, what does it look like? So Henry Nouwen puts it like this. This is, a, this is long, but we'll walk through it together. He says, we have to learn to listen again and again to the voice of love and find there the wisdom and courage to address whatever issue presents itself. Dealing with burning issues without being rooted in a deep personal relationship with God easily leads to divisiveness because before we know it, our sense of self is caught up in our opinion about a given subject. But when we are securely rooted in personal intimacy with the source of life, it will be possible to love. It will be possible to remain convinced without being rigid, willing to confront without being offensive, gentle and forgiving without being soft, and true witnesses without being manipulative. We can be ambassadors of love. And the way we do that is, is just like he says, the more we experience the love of the Father, the more we are able to extend that love to others. As we root ourselves in God, we remember the truth that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. When we remember who our enemy is, we remember who our teammates are. We're in this fight together. We're on the same team. And I tell this to my kids all the time. I'm like, guys, our family is a team. If we, if we hurt someone in our family, we're hurting ourselves. 
We hurt the whole team, and that's what we are. We are the family of God, the body of Christ. Stirring up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So let's, let's do that. Let's stir one another up. Let's meet together. Let's encourage each other. This is hard, but it's good. A life of faith, hope, and love. A life seeing our Father, running to our Father, doing His will, loving those around us. That's the life we are meant to live. That is the new and living way. And it's hard. And that's why it's us. It's me, you, and Jesus. We need each other. We need each other to remember to draw near, to hold fast without wavering, and to stir one another up to love and good works. It's, it's Christ in you encouraging Christ in me, encouraging Christ in you, encouraging Christ in me. Let's pray.